Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. You're with me today. My name is Charlotte White, but you can call me Charlie. I've been left the reins today as one of History Hack's resident Ricardians, a title of which I'm very proud, to speak to today's guest. I'm joined by Michelle Schindler, who has studied at Johann Wolfgang Goethe University in Frankfurt, reading English studies and history with a focus on medieval studies. Now, we're definitely in an interesting area here. She's the author of Lovell, Our Dog, The Life of Viscount Lovell, and he's the closest friend of Richard III and a failed regicide. I think we're going to have some very interesting things to talk about today. Hello, Michelle. Hello. <laughs> so the cat, the rat, and love allowed dog do rule all England under a hog. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> so look, let's be predictable. Let's start at the beginning. Um, what do we know about Lovell's early life? And he's, he's associated with Richard III from a very early age, isn't he? Uh, yes. Uh, well, we don't know all that much about his childhood as we... Uh barely know about anyone's childhood really but uh, what we know it's fairly common he had a couple of uh, siblings he had a twin sister which is uh, a bit unusual for the time they both lived so both lived to adulthood and he had an older brother who died that sort of thing but there, there seems to have been some kind of trouble with the father to the point that he later on wouldn't have prayers read for him which is very unusual. He he had him read for his grandfather, whom he didn't even meet, but not for his father, repeatedly. So there, there was some sort of trouble, but we do not know what. Just uh, there was probably some some difficulty. You've got to and, really not like somebody in your family to not offer prayers for them at this time. Yes. So something happened. 
Uh, but what it is, we we can guess, but we we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And he was he was very young when his father died. He was only eight, so who knows what happened. But from that time on, when he was eight, that's when he would have met Richard. His father was dead, so um, he became a uh, a ward of the king, mm-hmm. and the king gave him to his cousin Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick, to to bring up, and that's where Richard also was in, in that. That year, he he was also given to um, to Warwick to to raise that year. Richard would have been twelve, and Francis would have been around eight. Mm. And that's we we of course don't know if if the twelve year old and the eight year old uh, immediately became friends. Uh, they would have both been they would have known difficulties from a young age, so maybe mm. they they bonded over that, but. We don't know. We do know that from the time on, they both were old enough to, to make their own decisions. In teenage years, they're often found together. So maybe that's where it started. But we know they were both there at the same time. We do not know what their relationship was at that point because they were both still pretty young. And they were under um, who, who we now know as Warwick the Kingmaker. Yes, that's, that's him. <laughs> A very powerful man to be, to be brought up with. Yes, I think it would have been, uh, for Richard, it would have been expected, but the Lovell family had not been all that important. Uh, there were a couple of, of barons, a couple of ancestors of Francis who, who had been at court, but none of them had ever been all all that important. So maybe it was uh, special for, for the young boy to be brought into contact with somebody that important, that powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably wouldn't have known anything like it before that amazing i'd love to just to be a fly on the wall in that house yes yes and it would have been probably quite overwhelming for a for eight-year-old to suddenly be there in in the center of power so to speak or one of the centers of power anyway gosh so do we know do we know anything about lovell's character there there's debates about richard's character thanks to you know shakespeare one of the (laughs) the best um best propaganda um plays ever produced but what's his what's his ride or die closest friend like um and do you think it can give us a little bit of an insight into richard it can in a way because uh francis was uh well he was about the most uncontroversial person around even in all the the propaganda that uh followed richard's death he was barely mentioned. Nobody ever accused him of anything. Absolutely nothing. Even that that uh, the cat, the rat, and love our dog. There was uh, this one guy who was angry at the at the people who had power at the time. But you would think that this would give uh, later propagandists, propaganda, later propaganda writers, mm. uh, a, a good chance to. Um, also attack his character nothing absolutely nothing wow. he was he was extremely unpolitical even at the time there is no no evidence at all of him uh, trying to uh, wrest power from somebody else mm-hmm. he, he seems to be, have been reserved you're almost shy and and quite unconventional really that's the thing with the not having any prayers that you had to be a special sort of person to yeah. To make that decision, even if you didn't like your father, you had to be, uh, well, you had to be sure of yourself and sure of knowing that you could um, 
ignore conventions if if it suited you. He was sort of emotional like that. Yeah. And um mostly that's that's interesting. He did even when he later when he rebelled or something, he, he didn't make a lot of song and dance about it. He just did it. So he was a calm guy. And it's interesting that Richard, who from the sources was more ostentatious perhaps, chose a man like that as his closest friend. And he was he was not politically important before Richard became king, not at all. He had barely any power and any time he tried to uh, do anything military, he failed. Uh, so he wouldn't have been able to give Richard a lot in, in, in the way of political support or military support. Mm. It was interesting for him to have this man so close to him, uh, to, to favor him that much. And I think this says a lot about Richard. He wasn't just looking around for support. Of course he was, he had to, but this relationship was not one of those. No, of course. Well, his, his motto was um, loyalty binds me. So maybe he was loyal to Lovell. Yes, that could be. Or maybe they just liked each other. <laughs> so their ties, they're, they're not just about having grown up together. Um, he's got a marriage connection to Richard, I understand. So tell us about how that comes about. And do we know anything about Lovell as a husband? Is he a decent decent sort of husband? Yes, uh, we actually had two um, marital relations to Richard. The first of all was through his own wife. That's, that was the niece of Warwick the Kingmaker, the, um, the daughter of his sister Alice uh, and her husband Henry Baron Fitzhugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fitzhugh was therefore Richard's first cousin once removed. So he, she was related to Richard the same way his own wife was. And of course, uh, Richard's wife and Neville and uh, and Fitzhugh, all named the same for maximum confusion, um, <laughs> were first cousins. Francis was the first cousin of Richard's wife through marriage, and he was the, the first cousin once removed to Richard himself through marriage. That's so, yeah. And he was also the step-grandson of Richard's aunt. <laughs> okay, this starts to get very confusing. We need a yes. tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, his, uh, the, the older sister of Cecily Neville, that's Richard's mother, was married to Francis's grandfather. Okay, right. I can, oh, I yeah. can see it now. I can see it through Cecily. That's, gets, it gets so complicated, doesn't it, at the top? Yes, it's, it's terrible. And uh, the woman who was later claimed to have been married to Edward the uh, Fourth before Elizabeth Woodwill, no, I'm not getting into whether it was or not, but she was, I think she was his cousin by marriage, Francis' cousin by marriage, through another grandmother. So uh, you just have this whole nobility and it's a bramble bush. It's not a tree. <laughs> I love that. It's a bramble bush, not a tree. I'm going to use that. That's fantastic. We actually uh, know that he was quite good a husband. We have an indenture in his own words from uh, 1485, yes, and he um, he leaves his wife a lot of uh, manners uh, that she could own. And especially, he actually managed to disinherit his own cousin. <laughs> so she could keep them and she could uh, possibly leave them to any children she had with another man after his death. That's so this says a lot about <laughs> what, he, what he may have felt. And how maybe how he, um, he valued his wife over his other family other yes. over the cousins to take yes. take from them 
to to favor the wife yes yes <laughs> it's even an indenture uh if the family protests this and that so he he anticipated that because probably the cousin that's henry lord morley wouldn't have been all that happy about it <laughs> so he set that up did he he set up that it would definitely go to her even if they fought it. Yes, yes. In, in the event he didn't, but uh, because he got uh, attainted, but he couldn't know that. Uh, oh, that's that's jumping ahead in our story, definitely. Do Does he have any children? No, we, we have evidence of, of her having one miscarriage, but no, no living children. Oh, we don't know why. Uh, he, he seemed to think it was his fault, but of course we can't know. Oh, isn't that that's incredible that he would that he would think it was his fault? That doesn't seem like a very a very sort of common stance in in medieval men. <laughs> Not at all, especially since she she wasn't a widow who had already had some children. Where he could say, "Well, it must be logically," yeah. and uh, she had, as I say, we have evidence she was pregnant once, so it could have been either of them. But he seemed to think it was his fault. Oh. I, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him through time. So how does his life change when his best mate, Richard, becomes King Richard III? Oh, quite a lot, because he was he was not political before that at all. He was rarely at court, that we know. He'd only been to Parliament once. And then suddenly Richard just heaped him with favours. He heaped him with everything. He's, uh, <laughs> one of his first acts as Lord Protector was granting him some some manners that he'd been arguing with Richard Cray about. This, this, on the first day we have uh, action of Richard as Lord Protector. Um, that, that's when it happened. So that is his first, the first thing he does yes. is he takes away from the Grey family. Yes. Which is the family of Elizabeth Woodville. Yes, that's the younger son of Elizabeth Woodwell by her first uh, husband that they so were arguing about. That's that is very interesting for for any listeners who aren't who aren't sort of familiar with this time. Elizabeth Woodville, as the wife of Edward the Fourth, she's her family. They have they have a terrible reputation, don't they, for rabbing? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, they do. Um, there's there's some evidence of well Edward favoring them and whenever there was an argument between nobles about a manor or some land which they always happened, he usually um, said that the, the Woodwills were right. I mean it's sort of to be expected because well she was married to the king, but uh, she wasn't that high born, so all the other old nobles were complaining about it they would have been complaining about it anyway but especially like so because why does this lowborn nobody get it it's absolutely incredible and she wasn't really that lowborn her mother was Jaquetta of Luxembourg she's not she's no. not sort of she's not a commoner inverted commas no she's not the, the father is but uh, he was later made a baron as well so and then an earl by by Edward but well, it was snobbish. Yeah, of course. Very much. But it's fascinating that that first, that first present for, for Lovell comes at the expense of the Grey family. Yeah. And to be fair, he had been arguing with them about it. Um, so, yeah. He was actually related to the Grey's some uh, generations back because, of course, he was. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
they're all related to each other. It's a bramble bush people. <laughs> yes. So, As, what, what job does he give Lovell? What's he? What's his position? First of all, he was made chief butler. That's again at the expense of the Woodwells because <laughs> uh, Anthony Woodwell, that's the the Dowager Green's um, brother, had been chief butler when uh, Edward was king, and then he died, and Richard had um, Anthony arrested. And then somebody needed to be chief butler, so that was Francis. <laughs> and then later on, when Richard was king, um, he became a Lord Chamberlain. So that's the person who is in charge of making uh, sure who can have access to the king and who, who can't. For um... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Edward, for Edward, it had been William Hastings, so another close friend. It was usually um, a close friend. These people were also um, responsible for all sorts of uh, physicians and other people in the household, and they also had to make sure that any organization like weddings, funerals, meetings were uh, went well. So it was massively important and, and quite the responsibility, really. Amazing. He's basically in charge of the household, isn't he? Yes. Which which doesn't sound very now we think of think of a butler and the head of the household as being some sort of, you know, perhaps not a high status position. But this at this time is, you know, top job. It's amazing and um it would have been nothing at all like we think of butlers. Uh he, he may have been uh sort of three steps removed in that he chose somebody who chose somebody who, who was actually doing the job we now associate with butlers, but probably this would have been too, too lowly for him to even decide. Amazing. So he, he has to do some, some sort of heavy work as well, because this is medieval times we're talking about. He's charged with defending the South against Henry Tudor's invasion. When, when this, this, Usurper comes from across the sea. Sorry, I apologise. Ter- terrible Ricardian. How does that go for it for him? How does it go for Lovell? Quite badly. Um, <laughs> as, as usual, he, he wasn't a military man at all. Um, it was uh, it was a mix up, really, and it's probably not his fault. But um, he waited at the wrong Milford. There's two uh, two Milfords down south somewhere. 
uh, and he just got the wrong one. It's interesting he was even charged with that because there's absolutely no evidence he was ever on a boat before. And then he was given all the uh, the charge of, uh, well, commanding the fleet to, to guard against uh, the usurper coming in. Sorry, the future Henry VII coming in. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need to pretend here, Michelle. Don't worry. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can call it as it is. That is absolutely incredible. So he's got no, no military experience, never been on a boat, and is... He's got some military experience. He worked with uh, Richard in, in Scotland and he uh, he tried to raise men during the Buckingham Rebellion and that <laughs> failed. So, yeah. Oh dear. And he goes to the wrong... I can't get over that. He goes to the uh, wrong... It may, it may not have been his fault. It may have been a mix-up in the, in the spy thing. So uh, nobody blamed him. It was just this, this, this small mention in the Croyland Chronicle saying it was Milford, but it was wrong... But it was the wrong Milford. How does he react to events at Bosworth? Badly. <laughs> um, well, there's, there's some evidence he was actually at Bosworth, but no evidence he fought. So he would have been kept out of the fighting. Maybe because, um, well, he had something to do. That's, that's a lot of people think that because of the princess, but... It would have been strange to keep him that close to battle then. Uh, it may have been that Richard just kept him out because, first of all, he can't fight. And second of all, like this, he will survive if something happens to me. Um, and then he, after after the battle was lost, he went to Sanctuary in Colchester, St. John's Abbey. Yeah. Um, so uh, you could seek Sanctuary uh, even if you had technically committed treason and then you couldn't be pulled out. Mm. So he, he seems to have been expected he would be declared a traitor and went to sanctuary. It wasn't uncommon. For example, John Howard, that's later the Duke of Norfolk, had been in that very same sanctuary uh, during the Lancastrian readaption in 1471. Mm. So, yeah. And then uh, nobody seems to have thought this very strange. And then Henry VII um, offered him a pardon and he declined it. Wow. So he... That that is incredible. So he's offered a pardon, and he declines it. And he, does he stay in sanctuary? Does he stay hidden? He stays in sanctuary. Uh, probably not hidden because he would have been brought to pardon there, the, the offer of pardon. But uh, yes, he stayed there. And the the abbot of that abbey, uh, he was known to be a Yorkist, so that probably helped. <laughs> and uh, they were planning a rebellion there from there on. Amazing. Uh, in in fourteen eighty six. That that rebellion was basically planned from from sanctuary on because there's a whole list of people who were later pardoned for minor offenses in in that rebellion and they're all from Colchester. Usually you stayed in sanctuary for forty days. After that you could be pulled out. It's that's okay. You could stay in sanctuary forty days, plot whatever you did, and then um, you had to leave. But uh, Colchester, St John's Abbey in Colchester, had extended rights of sanctuary, as did Westminster Abbey, for example. So he could stay there technically for as long as he wanted. And it's often this this is a is a point that's often used. Oh, he stayed in sanctuary longer than forty days, so maybe he was planning something. Or Henry the Seventh was uh, negotiating something about the princess, but it's not that deep. It just had uh, longer rights of sanctuary. 
sure. And well, he, he just seems to have used that uh, to plot a rebellion. We actually know that he ran up a lot of debts. That's something like uh, twenty thousand in modern money. Um, and later on, Cecily Neville paid them. Uh, she, she arranged it in her will that uh, it would be paid. But we do not know what for. We don't know how he ran up all these debts. I wonder how you how you run up debts in sanctuary. I have no idea. I could imagine maybe it's physicians or something. We don't know if he was maybe injured at uh, at Bothworth. Yeah. But I'm just guessing. Or a lot of Deliveroo. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> and Netflix. <laughs> he got all the subscriptions. He's just chilling out eating a load of takeaway but no he's really he seemed he must have been working pretty hard because does he actually attempt to assassinate henry the seventh yes twice twice uh, <laughs> yes uh, he started a rebellion together with uh, humphrey and thomas stafford that's um well two retainers of richard uh, and uh, this this was in 1486 during Henry VII's first tour of the country, and well, he he tried to raise that rebellion, but it it was dead in the water, much like the Buckingham Rebellion. Nobody really supported it because, well, he didn't even offer an alternative. He just said, "We are killing him," and who's I don't know, I don't care, just <laughs> killing him. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't the best planned. And, well, uh, when, when his men went away, then he uh, went, uh, he, his original plan was just kidnapping Henry mm-hmm. and then probably uh, staging a, um, an execution for him, sort of a trial and execution. And when that didn't work, he just went to York and tried to kill him. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Just straight up went to try and kill him the yes sword. straight up went sword. to try and kill him and escaped amazing god yes i, I don't know how but it, it would have been quite impressive i'm sure so i mean he's he's fiercely loyal he's incredibly persistent he's just not very effective yes that's that's the thing he's good at organizing and he showed that when he was lord chamberlain but he's just not good at any sort of military or violence or anything so, so he flees. He runs yes, he away does. to the continent, but he's still not done, is he? In trying to trying to get rid of Henry, is he? No, no, he's not. And then this time he uh, gets the support of Richard's sister, the, um, Margaret, Duchess of uh, or Dover, Dover, the widow Duchess. I can never Dowager. pronounce that word. Dowager, <laughs> Dowager Duchess of of Burgundy, and um, her son-in-law or stepson-in-law. That's Maximilian, later Maximilian the uh, First, Holy Roman Empire. At that time, he was king of the Romans, and she, he gets their support. Uh, Margaret was always off supporting uh, rebels against Henry the Seventh, 
Um, also, it, it's partly, of course, he killed her brother and partly because uh, Henry VII had been supported by the French who did not like the Burgundians, etc., etc. <laughs> um, so, yes, she, he goes to her and gets her support there. And then he's also in contact with uh, Richard's oldest nephew, that's John Earl of Lincoln, John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln. Yeah. Actually, there's some evidence that John de la Pole had been in contact with Francis the whole time. He'd been his foster brother for a while after after the Earl of Warwick died. He'd been Francis had been made the, the ward of um, Lincoln's parents. Yeah. And they've been quite close, so they would have known each other from quite early on. And um there's there's several in several pieces of evidence that this rebellion in fourteen eighteen six uh had been betrayed by somebody and then uh Francis was given the news and could change his plans accordingly and this is almost certainly was John de la Pole uh get, passing on this information. Fantastic. So they are they involved in the Lambert Simnel affair? That's basically? the one, yes. Yes. Right. So this I find fascinating because we've had Matt Lewis from the Richard the Third Society talk to us about this before. And his suggestion is that at that time, John de la Pole's got a very, very good claim to the throne as the yes. Yorkist heir. And there's only one person who would be more, more eligible to the throne than John de la Pole. And that would be one of the princes. Yes. As, as it stood by law at the time, uh, one of the princes would have been uh, king. Because uh, Henry VII had, of course, overturned the, the Titulus Regius. That's what gave Richard his claim. So basically, it was Edward was made king through that, Edward V. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but after Hen uh, Richard's death, before Henry changed the law, which of course he had to do, um, then John de la Pole was king. By law, he was king then. Mm. Because he was the oldest nephew, um, the others had been um, blocked through law. So, yeah, um, this is another thing. Uh, it's always claimed that Lambert Simnel impersonated Edward uh, of Warwick. But Edward of Warwick was barred from the throne because his father had been executed. So there's no point, even if it was the real one, to put a 12-year-old with a plighted claim on the throne when you had a perfectly grown-up adult heir with a spotless claim. So why would they? Yes. So you've got this this man who is doggedly loyal. Not yeah, very effective. Yeah, I don't think he cared. He could have put a monkey on the throne. He just <laughs> wanted Henry dead. He just wanted Henry off. I love that. I was I was going to argue that if he is that loyal to to the family, and if John de la Pole's saying, you know, I could I could be king myself, but I'm not going to do it while this kid's alive. If that lends weight to Lambert Simnel as being who he proposed that he was. It could be. It's, it's, it's hard to say always. You can always uh, or argue one side or the other. But, um, yeah, it definitely uh, could be because Francis, Francis did not care. He started a whole rebellion without even a counter-candidate. But uh, John de la Pole, John de la Pole had actually, I do not know how, but Henry absolutely adored him. Wow. He, he barely even 
you know, he had to, of course, punish some of Richard's supporter, take some stuff from him. He barely took anything from him. He even made him in 1486, together with his uncle and the Earl of Oxford, both of whom had been in exile with Henry, and then Lincoln. They, they were the three who were supposed to uh, investigate the treasons of the whole rebellion. Then Lincoln uh, um, suggested that they pardon the whole lot, except Francis, obviously, and Henry went and pardoned them. I do not know what Lincoln did, but he had the best position in Henry's court. So something must have been happened for him. Something must have happened that he decided, I'm going to rebel. Wow. Because he could have worked his way up. Yeah. He played Henry like a fiddle. That's so interesting. God. So look, how does it end up for Lovell, our, our very rebellious lovely friend um how does it end for him do we do we know no we don't know we know he survived the battle of stoke that's uh lincoln died there but he survived he was last seen uh swimming with his horse over the river trent he was escaping of course because he didn't want to be taken prisoner mm. and then nothing um there's uh, for a year later there's a safe conduct to scotland for him but that seems to have been got by Margaret of Burgundy, but there's no evidence he ever even uh, took it. So we don't know. He may have died in between those two dates. We also know his wife was looking for him in uh, around one and a half years after the Battle of Stoke, saying uh, that she had sent one of his uh, retainers to look for him in the north, but had not found anything, which is interesting because the retainer was also attainted and so she was casually committing treason to find him. <laughs> uh, but uh, he hadn't found anything, and that's the last we know. So I think it's possible he went to Burgundy again, where he was saved, and to maybe um, wanted to go to Scotland from uh, to plot from there on, um, from there, to plot on from there, sorry, uh, because the Scottish were always against the English, and... Actually, the north of the country was so ticked off at Henry VII winning that they started to plot with the Scots, with whom they had been arguing for centuries, to invade and throw him off the throne. So maybe he thought this was a good place, but we have maybe he was injured again. Maybe he just became ill. There's there's no evidence that he was alive after maybe a month or two after the Battle of Stoke. Gosh, I mean, this is this is the problem when you when you study an area and you know all of the all of the possible things that could have happened but do you have one that you think more than the other what what would what do you think happened to him i think he died he may have died in burgundy shortly after the battle of stoke um because there were other rebellions soon afterwards there were 13 biggish ones i think in henry the uh, reign and he's not mentioned in any of them after 1487, and I do not think he would have given up. Uh, so it's probably very likely that he died. What he died of, uh, he, he wasn't the most healthy man to start with, so maybe it was just too much. But I don't know. I think he died in 1487. Because he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have stopped. No. <laughs> he was quite stubborn, really. I like that. There's all these wonderful legends about, about him haunting Minster Lovell. <laughs> Oh, he never even liked Minster Lovell. He was barely no, there. it's lovely there. 
I know, but he was barely there. His his grandfather, William Lovell, had it rebuilt really nicely in 1430s. Mm-hmm. And then Francis went and just had it rebuilt entirely again. And then he never even went there. No, he never went there. No, it's, it's barely there. So all the all the things about him haunting it are complete rubbish. <laughs> I've always said if there's a skeleton buried there, it's more likely to be his very, very unpopular father than uh, him. That Somebody is. whacked him over the head. He was very unpopular. He was also, we do not know what exactly happened, but we do know that he made his Francis mother that is pregnant for the first time when she was 13. And he was 22 or something. So, yeah, he was a terrible man. <laughs> and there's some hiccup about his death. So maybe that if there's a skeleton, that's him. Maybe he's haunting the one. It's not Francis. That's wonderful. I love it. I love it. So why write the book about about Viscount Lovell? Um, are you, is it fair to say you're living the dream? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was looking up. I was reading something about Richard Oitz years and years ago. And um, I was trying to uh, chase something up about that Viscount I read about. This is funny. What did he do there? And I just found nothing. There is so little about him. I was just, okay, if there's nothing, I'm just going to have to find it. And it just fell down that rabbit hole and never came back. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I figured I, I, if there's the book I want to read is now there, I'm just going to have to write it. That's wonderful. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to reading this, Michelle. So check out, guys, Lovell, Our Dog, The Life of Viscount Lovell by the wonderful Michelle Schindler. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.